All right, we're in Jonah 4. We have been in this series talking about um, canceling grace. Jonah, canceling grace. Jonah's hope was that he would cancel the grace of God on the Ninevites. God asked him to go to be with the Ninevites to share um, his word, to share the, the, the word of the Lord to them, to be the mouthpiece of God. But Jonah, when he's asked to go, says no. And when he says no, instead of going to um, Nineveh, which is modern day Iraq, he goes 2,500 miles the opposite direction, complete opposite direction to what would be considered um, Spain, okay? Tarshish. He heads there saying, okay, I can be the mouthpiece of God. I can be the prophet. I can do my thing over there. But what happens on the way there, he gets on the boat and Joppa, and then things are getting wild, and there's a storm, and he's like, it's probably me because I'm supposed to be sharing the word and I'm going the opposite direction. So the sailors or the men on the boat, they're like, we're not going to throw you over. We're not going to kill you. That's not what we do. We're like good guys, right? We would never do that. But then the storm gets crazier. So he's like, just throw me over. It's my fault. And they're like, yeah, we're throwing you over. So they throw him over. And by the appointment of God, somebody say appointment, God appointed a fish to grab Jonah and put him in the belly of his, of, of his, the belly, his belly, the whale's belly. And he chilled there for three days. And he's at rock bottom. Jonah's at rock bottom. And he's crying out to the Lord. And he's saying, he's remembering the temple. He's quoting scriptures. And he's crying out for the mercy of God over him. And what happens? Jonah is vomited out of the fish's mouth. And he ends up on dry land in where? All but Nineveh. He ends up in Nineveh on dry land. And Nineveh, actually, the God that they worship there is a fish. So they hear the word of the Lord from Jonah. And he shares but 10 words, and 120,000 people get saved. 120,000 people repent. And they're like, let's make God our God. And this is the largest recorded revival in history. And this man who delayed, who was reluctant, who disagreed with what God was wanting him to do, was used by God for the largest revival that had ever taken place in history. Man, talk about God not canceling grace on a man who did not deserve it, right? Nor did the Ninevites. They were a vile, violent people, which is why Jonah hated them. He hated them not just as people, but he knew that they were violent. He was even afraid for his life. So we're not going to totally discredit Jonah. They were horrible people, and they were a threat to the nation of Israel. But, but, but God was gracious. God was gracious. Are you grateful for the grace of God? He gave Jonah second chances. We see here, even though this book of the Bible is called Jonah, this is a book that is talking about God. We are seeing the compassion of God. We're seeing the mercy of God. We're seeing the grace of God that none of us deserve, but God is God in his word. It may be called Jonah, the book of Jonah, but this is also showing a God who will never cancel the grace over your life. He's a good God. But in this world, we experience the same tension that takes place in this book. The tension is between God's grace and Jonah canceling it. And we live in a day and age where we are canceling one another left and right based on what we think is moral and immoral. We can really relate to this. I also wanna note that chapters one through three, we see a lot of what Jonah does. 
We see that he's trying to cancel grace. He's trying to run away from the Lord. He's saved by God. There's the providence of God written all over um, chapter three and chapter four. And for the first chapter, first three chapters, Jonah, we see what he does. But in Jonah four, we recognize who Jonah actually is. Can I, can I just tell you right now that God is more concerned about who you are becoming than what you do for him? Here's the thing. Jonah was doing a lot of good things, even in his rebellion to God and not going to Nineveh, he was gonna be like, oh, I'll be the mouthpiece of God in another city that he didn't ask me to go. Even though you're doing something for God, you're, you could still be walking in disobedience. Did you know that? You could still be walking in disobedience. God, today, I want you to understand that God is more concerned with who you are becoming than what you're doing, even in his name. So here we are at the end of Jonah, and we almost, we see what could potentially become the end of Jonah's life. Somebody before service asked me, so what happens? Does he com commit suicide? Does God smite him? Does God kill him? You know, there are not, there's not much conclusion, but what I do see in chapter four is who Jonah really is. He is who he is, not because of what he does, not only because of what it, he does, but because we are able to see his heart. So at the end of his life, at the end of your life, how is it gonna end for you? Is it gonna be about what you're doing for God or is it about your relationship with God? So let's pick it up here, Jonah 4, 1 through 11. We're gonna see potentially how it ends for Jonah. Again, he's been spit out of the mouth of the fish. He has delivered a really lame message. He used 10 words to preach to the Ninevites and all of them repented. So that is very good news for the preacher here today that I could say, turn your heart, repent, 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 and deuces and see you later, right? Because the word of the Lord is that strong. The word of the Lord is that powerful. The word of the Lord has the ability, if our hearts are in the right place, to turn your heart to him. So Jonah 4, 1 through 11. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's saying, you saved the people. I knew you were gonna do this. Why are you doing this? And he's like, it is better for me to see them, to, if you're not gonna kill them off, then it's better for me to just die. He's so dramatic. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Think about all the times that we've been angry at God and when God didn't do things that we want him to do, the way we want him to do it in the timeline that we wanted him to do that. I wonder how many times he has asked us, does it do well for you to be angry at me? Does it do well for you? Verse five, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. I could just see him sitting there being like, okay, I talked to him. I did what I was supposed to do. Now will he destroy them? I feel like he's just watching. Will you please destroy them? Now the Lord God appointed a plant. Somebody say, he appointed a plant? 
and made it come over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And here this fool is complaining and God appoints a plant to save him from his discomfort. You know, there's many moments I'm sure that you can remember that you were in discomfort and you were complaining and God still provided something to help you. That is a gracious God. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. He went from being exceedingly mad to exceedingly glad. God provided me for me. At first, God didn't do what I wanted him to do. I'm gonna be mad. But now he did something that I wanted him to do in my timeline, so I'm gonna be exceedingly glad. Anybody else seeing um, kind of a, yeah, he's crazy. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. Say, appointed a worm? that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. Somebody say, appointed a scorching east wind? And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. He's so dramatic. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? He's saying, you pity a plant that you didn't create, that you didn't grow, that was here, it was a flash in a pan for you and it comforted you for a second. Now, if you're gonna pity a plant, should I not pity 120,000 people whose hearts are away from me and much cattle? I don't know what to do with that, but there's much cattle as well. So how's it gonna end? How's this gonna end? I have three questions to propose to you. How's it gonna end for you? Number one, is it gonna end with your preference or God's providence? This is what Jonah is coming up against right now. Verse one, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Do you see what's happening here? Jonah is not getting his preference. He's not getting his preference and it, he fails to see God's appointments, God's providence. He appointed a plant. He appointed a whale. He appointed a worm. He appointed a scorching east wind. God has, in his perfect providence, it is always better than our preference. He tells God, I told you this was gonna happen. This is why I went to Tarshish, as if God didn't know that this was gonna happen. Jonah would rather die than see the Ninevites receive God's mercy. Is there anybody in your life that you're like, oh, this, this story doesn't really relate to me. I don't want people to die. I just want them to suffer, right? I just want to suffer and get what they deserve. Maybe not die. I'm not as bad as Jonah. But can I just tell you right now that we can all easily be Jonah, I don't want us to read this and be like, oh, you know, we read it about the Israelites, like, oh, they're lost and they just wander, blah, blah, blah. We are all Israelites at times. I don't want us to read Jonah and be like, oh, he missed it there, 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 all the appointments, he missed it, he missed it. He was rock bottom and he's still mad at God. Yeah, that happens when we don't get our way, right? 
let's just keep it real here. We're doing some heart checks. But Jonah would rather die than see the Ninevites receive God's mercy. When we would prefer something over God's providence, we are creating idols in our lives. The moment our preference supersedes our desire for God's will to be done, we are walking into idolatry. Idolatry is creating a false picture of the true God. Jonah knows who God is. He's a prophet. He's one of the minor prophets. Um, these are the books that we kind of breeze over, right? And we know this story, but I need you to understand that Jonah knew God. When he was in the belly of the fish, when he was at rock bottom, he was quoting scriptures. He was praying all scriptures, and there's power in praying the scriptures. I want you to remember that. But Jonah knew the word of God. But what does he do? He attacks God by using scriptures against God. He tries to attack God with his own words. Did you see that there? He said, I knew this was going to happen. I knew that you're gracious, you are gracious and you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That is scripture. He is using God's words against him. And can I warn you today that if we are misquoting and misusing scripture and not representing God by the accuracy of our word, then we are walking in idolatry. This is a problem that has been going on for years and years. We see the prophets of old misquoting and misusing scripture. And I need to caution you to be a studier of the word, a student of the word, not misquoting it to validate your bad choices. Ooh. How often do we validate what we're doing in our lives by twisting scripture to work for us? You know that we can really make the Bible say whatever we want it to because our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. The reason we do this, though, is because we're not ready for the way God wants to interrupt our lives. Jonah's life was completely interrupted. He was a prophet of God. He was chilling in his hometown. And then God said, go over there. Talk about inconvenient. Talk about going like to the place that you would so rather not go, where there were evil people that were a threat to, to the Israelites, to Jerusalem. Like, it, they were just, they were nonsense. I don't know about you, but I think some moms can feel me out there, but there are times where I have a plan on Saturdays to clean my house, to get the dishes done, to get the laundry done. So I would rather my kids not have fun and play and mess it up Anybody else? And there's moments where I just have a preference for how my day should go. I have a preference for how my, my home should be, the condition it should be, the cleanliness it should have. And then I have a little girl who wants to make crafts for Halloween. No religious people out there get mad at me for making Halloween decorations, okay? <laughs> We're not gonna be religious up in here. Um, don't worry, they just say happy Halloween and they're mostly harvest. Okay, anyways, I'm not, I'm not justifying anything. <laughs> or am I? Okay, um, you know, one, one year, um, I was probably in fourth grade. I'm saying this because I know my mom and dad watch every week. Hi guys, you can stream the message online. Hi mom, hi dad. Um, I made a happy Halloween sign on my door and my dad came back from work and he ripped it off to ensure that I wasn't celebrating Halloween. Anyways, that's just, a, that's just a side story so you can know a little bit more about me. But 
There are moments where I have preferences in my house. And when my girl wants to do crafts and take out glue and cut up a bunch of paper, it kind of messes my preferences up, right? But when I'm interrupted and I see the joy on my daughter's face when I join her in what she is doing, I never regret it. Some of us have to realize that the interruptions in our lives are actually divine appointments where God is saying, I want you to join me in what I am doing. We see Jonah is interrupted and he probably had a pity party like this mama did for just a little bit. I went and did some crafts. We made some bats. <laughs> but I need you to understand that God is wanting to divinely interrupt your life so that you can partner with what he is doing and what he is doing is better than what we could ever do in our own lives. Better is one day in his course. Better is one day with him than a thousand elsewhere. God's interruptions are our divine invitations. What has God been inviting you to that you have been saying no to? What has he been asking you to partake in? What has he been asking you to commit to? What has he been asking you to level up in and give your all to? I'm telling you this right now, every time you're in the presence of God, he's inviting you to be more intimate with him. And it will require you to sacrifice your preferences. Sacrifice your preferences. So how's it gonna end? For Jonah, how's it gonna end for you? By preferences or God's providence? Do you see how God sends storms? Do you see how God sends animals? Do you see how God sends plants? Do you see how God sends the winds? God is in control of everything and if we could just submit to his providence, then our preferences will just go by the wayside. Will it end with your preference or God's providence? Or number two, will it end with your will, my will, or his will? I said this earlier, but did you know that you could do the will of God, but not have the heart of God? Have you ever been mad at God for not doing things in your timing? And can I tell you right now, it's okay that you're mad at him, but when we get to the place that we blaspheme him and we disobey him, that's the moment that we're not allowing God to be glorified in our lives. When we can take negative emotions towards God and we can submit it to him and ask him to disciple us through these emotions, when he disciples us through these emotions and he um, sanctifies or he helps our anger turn into Oh man, what if Jonah's anger turned into righteous anger for the Ninevites? Like God wants to disciple us in our emotions and he wants to sanctify them. And when we can allow God present him honestly and openly and authentically present our emotions to him, we have an opportunity to have him glorified through our lives. I want you to think of some negative emotions that you've ever had. Negative emotions like anger, like jealousy, like shame, God has a way of turning those all around so that he can be glorified. Because God is an emotional God. Did you know that? God has emotions too. I know we've talked about this in the past and more in relationship series, but this message is even about your relationship with God. God has emotions too, and God's wanting to use some of your emotions to disciple you to understand how to have relationship with him and how 
to do his will. But when we get to the point that we say, okay, God, I'm not happy with this, we have an opportunity to either adjust the Bible to ourselves or to adjust ourselves to the Bible and adjust ourselves to the word of God. You know, God is so gracious that he used Jonah's actions to lead to the greatest revival in history, but he still didn't have the heart of God. Doesn't that blow your mind? Now, if we know that God can do that, how much more could he do with a heart that is aligned with him? I think he's saying, I, I can do a lot of things. I, you can do a lot of things in my name, but imagine the exceedingly abundantly more that I can do through you when you're aligned with me. Jonah's actions without carrying the heart of God, still brought revival. And I'm afraid some of us Christians are walking away and walking this faith journey negatively more than positively. And here's what I'm trying to say. There's some Christians out there who have more faith that people can be punished by God, more faith in his judgment than they have in his mercy. And I wanna ask you, where do you lie right now? Do you have a heart of grace? Do you have a heart that God would have mercy on people? Or are we like Jonah and do we care more about punishment for people than his saving grace? It's kind of quiet. I, I, do, I want us to sit with that for a second. I want you to think about the people who have done you wrong. I want you to think about the people who have wounded you. I want you to think about your loved ones who have been wounded. Do you, I don't know, maybe it's just me. And I said it earlier, like sometimes I wanna watch them suffer, Lord. So they deserve suffering. But can I tell you that God has set us free from being the judge over humanity? And some of us have to see that as a freedom because some of us are wearing judge as a badge of honor. We're like the kids in school who all want to be the hall monitors because they want that badge so they can tell people what to do. But you know, we are set free from being the judge because God is the only judge. And if he's on the throne of our heart, then some of us are released to release compassion, release grace over people because the judge is sitting on the throne of our hearts. And if he's on the throne of our hearts, we're looking at ourselves before we're looking at everybody else. Are you gonna have your will or his will? His will is that none should perish but have everlasting life. We don't have to worry about the punishments. We don't have to worry about judging other people. We just have to worry about being more like Christ and, God, and Christ purifying our heart first, creating us a clean heart and renew a right spirit in us. Cast us not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Some of us have wanted our will before his will, and we have found ourselves with an impure heart under the guise of righteousness. 
can I tell you that his will is always better than our will. We don't always see things the way he does. I want to say we rarely see things the way he does. And if we, he lets us see anything, we only see things in part. We prophesy only in part. We see only in part. We never see the whole thing. Did you know, I said it earlier, that God knew what he was doing. It's so funny to me the way Jonah said that. He's like, I knew this was going to happen. And he's like, I know. That's why I did all this. That's why I pointed the fish. And I wanted you to be in the belly of the fish so that when you were vomited onto the dry land by the fish, these people who worshipped a fish, the Dagon fish was the God that they worshipped. The God of Nineveh was a fish. Of course they were going to hear the prophet who came out of the fish. God's will is a bigger picture than our picture. Our will is limited and our will is impure. We are deceitful in our own hearts. So how's it going to end? My preference or God's providence, my will or his will or my heart or God's heart. I already said it. Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. But God's heart is always, somebody say always, grace. Always grace. We can't understand this because we're like, we're human. We're like, there's truth and grace, huh? Somehow the God of the universe is 100% truth and he's 100% grace. We can't fathom that. And I would go as far to say, don't even try. You're never going to be God. It is a hard, it is a pickle in my mind when I've tried to figure out 100% grace and 100% truth, man, when we finally surrender to even understanding every detail, when when we are ready to surrender our preference, when we're ready to surrender our will, then we are free to let God be God. And that's the problem. We're trying to be God. And that's why I talked about idolatry earlier because on the throne of our hearts is sometimes us. But what's it going to be for you, my heart or God's heart? God's heart is always grace. If I want grace, then I have to give grace. If you want grace, you've got to give grace. You know what Jonah does? He goes outside the city and he watches and he waits and he's hoping that God changes his mind so that he may destroy the city. Yikes. He's just, he goes out of the city of Nineveh after he gave a 10-word message they all are repenting, but then he's like, ah, no, they are, they are still worthy of being destroyed. So he goes out there and he just watches, just watches, hoping that they would be destroyed. So Jonah, he's sitting out in the sun, modern day Iraq. It's hot. Um, he's burning. He's, he's throwing a pity party. How many people know that when you're throwing a pity party, it's worse than the summer in the dead of heat, right? It's just even more uncomfortable. And what is happening here is what I see happening sometimes in the church, and I've seen it in myself, and it's a religious spirit. It's a religious spirit. A religious spirit is when we judge others by what they do, but we judge ourselves by what we want to do. Can I say that again? A religious spirit is when we judge others by what they do, but we judge ourselves by what we want to do. 
So Jonah, just two chapters earlier, is in the belly of the fish and he's saying, oh, have mercy on me. I'll do anything for you to get me out of this pickle, to get me out of this fish, to get me out of this situation. I'll do anything. Has anybody been in rock bottom? And you're like, I'll do anything. I'll give you my life, Lord. Then you get out of rock bottom and then you go right back. And then you see other people when you, you are out of rock bottom and you're like, oh, I'm living for the Lord, I'm doing good. And then you see those people doing wrong. You see those people doing what you used to do. And then you're like, oh Lord, smite them. They're evil, they're wicked. And the only reason why you know that they're that evil is because you're that evil. We need to get to the place that we say no, not to grace, but no to the religious spirit that says that we have the right to judge. God's grace is for everyone. We can easily develop this idea of being better in our spirit, for being the moral people who take the higher, higher moral ground, right? And that is the problem in this day and age. Do you understand that the question that they're asking is not my will or his will, it's not my heart or his heart, it's, it's not my preference or God's preference or God's providence. They're saying it's moral or immoral. That's why people in this world, they're like, all it takes to, to live a good life and make it into eternity is just to be a good person. That's not enough. You know what, it is not enough. That in and of itself, that thinking, that, that reducing your faith to moral and immoral is, is making your faith, it's limiting your faith. It's limiting yourself and understanding, not understanding God's grace on your life. It, it's you canceling grace. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? When you reduce your faith to morals or being immoral, you are canceling grace on yourself. But you need the grace of God because here's the thing, it's not about being good or bad. You are dead, all of us are dead without God. Apart from Jesus, we are nothing. We are but filthy rags. You deserve to be at the bottom of the ocean. You deserve to be in the belly of the whale. And even though we deserve that, God provides that. Isn't that just wild? It's wild to me. You deserve to be at the bottom of the ocean, but God sent a whale, but God sent a plant, but God sent the storms, but God, but God, but God, He is so gracious to you. You deserve death, but God sent a lamb to take away my sin and be the sacrifice, the propitiation for my sin. He provided a way out through Jesus. God, the one who is in perfect providence, he provides a way out. He provides you grace. So let's stop making things about being good or bad. Let's not make things about being immoral. Let's make it about being intimate with our creator and knowing his heart. When we know his heart, then we live for him. And when we know his heart, we are quicker to surrender to him. And there are people in this room, there are unsurrendered hearts. And you've reduced this walk of faith. You've reduced your relationship with God to doing things right. And everything has been about doing the right thing, not becoming who God has called you to become. The thing about God, his heart is always grace. His heart is always compassion. The way the word compassion in Jonah, when it's translated, is to grieve, to mourn over something that has died. So when he's grieving or he's mourning over these people, these Ninevites who he knows will be damned to hell if they don't turn their hearts towards him, he realizes 
that he not realized. He, he loves them so much. He has so much compassion. He has so much grace that he attaches his heart voluntarily to those people. The same way he attaches his heart to Jonah, he wants them to experience his grace, his compassionate compassion. The meaning of compassion is when someone is moved by the troubles of others and wants to do something about the suffering. Did I remember what I said earlier? Some of us want to watch other people suffer, but a compassionate heart a compassionate heart says that no matter what they did, they don't deserve anything good, but I want them to be free from that suffering. Listen to what it says. He says, should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons? God loves cities. God loves this room. He loves this room so much. You know why? Because every single one of you bear his image. There's some people who are like, oh, just go out to the fields and you'll see God, you'll experience God more. I actually believe that you experience God in crowds because the image of God is everywhere. Can I just, can I just tell you, he's so concerned about the 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. They don't know what to do next. They don't know what the meaning of their life is. They don't know what their purpose is. And God's heart is compassionate towards them. He's compassionate towards you. He's compassionate towards Jonah, who's like, I want to do your will, but I don't. He's compassionate towards you. So he's just saying, give me your heart. Receive my grace. Stop trying to be the judge. And he weeps over the people that he loves. We see this, that God who came down to this earth in flesh as Jesus, he in Luke 13, 34, when he is about to die on a cross for us, die on a cross for us, he walks out of the city and he, and he says this in Luke 12, 34, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered up your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. He's saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, my heart breaks for you. You're killing the prophets, but you know how I would have gathered you up unto myself to love you, protect you, and nurture you, but you were unwilling but you are unwilling. Are you willing in this room to accept and receive the compassion and love of Christ today? We see that Jonah, we're just like Jonah. Sometimes we wanna watch the people suffer. We want, to, we want them to get what they deserve. That's why we watch half the shows that we watch. We wanna see the bad guy get it at the end, right? No. God's heart is compassionate and gracious towards those who are unwilling so I wanna leave you with two thoughts. God is more concerned about Jonah's heart. He's more concerned about your heart than what you do for him. And listen to me, it doesn't matter how much you do in his name, you still will not have peace if your heart is not aligned with his. So why don't you bow your heads in this place? I wanna give you a moment to just take inventory of your heart Ask God, what, where is my heart? I, I say I love you, but where have I not sacrificed? Where have I not given more to you? Where have I not let go of this desire or this preference? Where have I held on and taken this over 
your will, Lord. I, right now in your hearts, just pray with me, God. We, we recognize that you are the one who always provides a way out. You sometimes use plants. You sometimes use animals. You use the friends in our lives. You use the families in our lives. You use so many things. You use music. You provide so much, Lord, the way you provided for Jonah. So God, we recognize that, that your providence Oh, your providence, it is good, it is merciful, it is compassionate. So God, we wanna choose your providence over our preferences. And God, we understand that you see a bigger picture, so we choose your will over our will. And God, we recognize that we are deceitful in our own hearts, so we want your heart. And the only way we can connect with your heart is if we surrender our heart to yours. So I wanna ask you a question right now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you wanna give your heart to the Lord, if you wanna align with him today, if in the presence of God, as we have opened up his word and as he has spoken to us, it hasn't been Chrissy, it's been the words in Jonah as they have been spoken to us. If you wanna give your heart to the Lord, if you wanna align your heart with him, if you wanna give your heart fully and wholly and devoted to him, make him the Lord of your life, not just the savior of your soul, if you wanna do that this morning, I wanna give you that opportunity. I'm kinda of count to three. And I'm telling you, you can, you can go to every church service, you can sing every song like the back of your hand, you can volunteer week after week, but if your heart is not aligned, you will not experience the peace of God on your life. If you wanna experience that peace, if you want more of Him, if you wanna make Him the Lord of your life, you wanna grow in your intimacy with Him, if that's you in this place, I wanna give you an opportunity to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, Three, would you raise your hand if you want to give your life to him? Yeah, I see hands all over. One, two, three, four, five, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Anybody else? Back there. Thirteen, fourteen. Amen. Fifteen. God sees your hands. You can put them down. How about everybody in this room? Would you repeat after me? With all those who raise their hands, room, hands all over the room. Dear Jesus, thank you for bringing me here today. I accept you in my life. Thank you for all the provisions that has brought me here today. I believe that you died and rose again so that I may have life. I confess my need of you. I'm a sinner and I need to be washed clean. Save me, Lord. Purify me. Cleanse me make me new. Give me the strength to live for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name.